Hello and a warm welcome to Translate Stars podcast, a podcast created by language professionals for language professionals. Here we go. Hi everyone. I am Roberta. I am Translate Stars social media manager and content manager, and I'm here today with David Garcia Ruiz, CEO, translation expert. Hi, David. How are you? Hello. Very well. Hello. <laughs> I'm glad. So we are here today to discuss what are the common challenges that SEO translators face and how to overcome them. But before we start, please remember to drop your questions in the chat. If you want to ask David anything, we will address them at the end of the interview, which will last about 20 to 30 minutes. And also this interview will be recorded so you can catch up on it later. So, if you're ready, David, we can get started. Let's go. You were born ready, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, first question, um, could you please um, define SEO translation in your own words for those who are not familiar with this specialization? Okay, so when we talk about SEO translation, rather than providing a translation that is correct, you need to provide a translation that is not only correct, but is also the most popular, um, like answer, or it contains the most popular terms, keywords, words that people would use for that uh, sentence. So if I give you an example, if we're talking about uh, studying in Germany and we're translating a blog post about studying in Germany, you may have a sentence such as how to apply to study in Germany. Now, if I translate that word by word into Spanish, for example, it's a perfectly fine translation. There's nothing wrong with it. However, most people in Spain don't, don't good, don't are going to perform that search on Google, on search engines, uh, with a direct translation of how to apply to study in Germany. Most people in Spain are gonna say something like requirements to study in Germany. So if we are doing an SEO translation, we are gonna um, we are gonna say requirements to study in Germany simply because this is what most people uh, type on Google and this is how we are gonna get the most traffic into our website. So rather than providing only the correct translation, providing the correct translation that is also the most popular in the country. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing this for almost 10 years now, and but how did you start your career in, in, in this field and why did you choose it or did it choose you in some kind of way? Okay, so after I finished my, my master's in the UK, um, there was this marketer, this marketer uh, called uh, Nigel T. Packer, and he was running like um, like a three months course at Swans University about digital translation. And in this course, he talked about PPC and SEO, etc. And I got interested in the topic. And as it happened, one day there was there was a job offer in a very popular uh, translation platform that I'm not going to name. And <laughs> And they were looking for a for an SEO translator, and I applied to this agency. It was a digital agency, and I just did one job for them with my very little knowledge, but it was a very straightforward task. And a few months after, a couple of months after, 
Um, someone who was working there was going in maternity leave for nine months. So pretty much they said to me, would you be able to cover this, this person for nine months? I was working remotely freelance and they basically trained me. They provided me with many reference materials. And that's how I started in the um, doing SEO translation. And I started knowing more about the subject. So you studied with the Uber Suggest guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, it's a different guy. It's just not, nothing uh, to do because with it. Because it would have been wonderful, you know. You use <laughs> Uber Suggest and you study with the Uber Suggest guy. It makes sense. No, no it's a pity, though. <laughs> he, he should do that. Um, so, but um, what has changed in the last 10 years in the SEO translation world? Okay, so when I started, um, what everyone would ask you to do when talking about SEO and translation would be to provide keywords, a primary keyword, a secondary keyword, a third keyword. It's, it was all about keywords, okay? And over the last few years, there has been um, a shift from keywords to search intention. So basically, uh, in the past, it would be all about the example I gave before, something like um, how to study in Germany. You will look for a keyword that is closely related, but now, uh, rather than focusing in a keyword that is closely related and is popular, you focus on a sentence that fulfills the same such intention. So giving a different example now, let's say um, we have a blog post that says, what is a blog and how does it work? That's what people say in English. People who are, who are looking to start their own blog post say, okay, um, I want to find out more about this topic. They go on Google and they type, what is a blog and how does it work? How can I make money? And therefore, when someone writes a piece of content in English, these are the, um, the questions that they answer because that's what people in the UK, in the United States are looking for. So they match the search intent of the person with a piece of content. Now in Spanish, for example, people don't search exactly for the same things. In, in Spanish, people say, what is a blog post and what do you use it for? So in English, people don't say, what do you, why, what do you use it for? But that's what the Spanish people look for. So when you are doing SEO translation or you're also creating content or adding content to a translation or you want to optimize a translation, that's different services that you can offer, you are gonna, um, are gonna try to include the sentence or the or the group of sentences that Spanish people look for. So rather than just finding the exact keyword or the exact sentence, you try to find out what Spanish people look for in in their in their countries to provide uh, exactly the information that they are looking for and to match the intention of the search entirely. So rather than just um, providing information about what is a blog, you also provide information about what do you use a blog post for, which you don't provide in English because people in English don't tend to look for that type of information, but for something slightly different. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about money, something that no one does. Um, could you give us um, an idea uh, about how much a, an SEO slash SEO, SEO translator slash SEO content writer makes? 
Okay, so it, it depends on a thousand factors. So just talking about this topic is a bit of a minefield. Uh, it depends on your language combination. It depends on the topic that you are translating. It's not the same to translate about uh, English courses and translate, translating about uh, cybersecurity because the terms about cybersecurity are gonna take longer than the terms about uh, English courses. Unless you're an expert in cybersecurity, which means that you're gonna charge more anyway. So we're talking about SEO translation. I would say that uh, when it comes to the translation itself, um, you don't necessarily are gonna charge a lot of more money than normal translation, but to do that translation, before you do the translation, you, know, you need to do keyword localization or keyword research. So for that task, for that service in particular, you're gonna charge more money before doing the translation. So basically, rather than just um, charging your per wear rate, you're gonna charge uh, some lamp, a total amount for doing the keyword research, which again, it can, it depends on a big number of factors how much you're gonna charge. So I cannot give you an exact figure, okay? But I hope that's helpful. Now, when it comes to uh, content writers, uh, recently I read some statistics about how much a content writer charges for a blog post of around 1,000, 1,500 words. And again, it goes from $50 to $2,000 and even more. I remember 23% of the people who uh, responded to the survey said that they charged $250. So I think that was the biggest segment. It was $250 for 1,000, 1,400 words blog post. So yeah, that can give you an idea of how much the average person can charge for. Okay, and now we can get to, to, the, to the challenging part, which is what are the most common challenges that SEO translators face now? And how can they overcome them? Okay, so I'm gonna talk about four different challenges. Mm -hmm. which yeah, I think can be uh, four things that uh, anyone who works in this in this industry is going to come across at some point. The first challenge that I have, um, I encountered myself in the past, and now sometimes when I have reached out to, um, to different colleagues because I need help with uh, multilingual projects, uh, the first thing that many people face is I don't have a keyword research tool. I cannot pay for a keyword research tool because it costs $100 a month and it's not worth for me to have a keyword research tool. So sometimes I get answers um, to my emails. Can you help with this project? Answers such as I don't have my own keyword research tool or I can only use a keyword research tool if you provide it to me, etc., etc. And I think this for a for a marketing agency or for a translation agency, it doesn't look very good simply because if you don't have access to a keyword research tool, it's an indicator that you are not an expert in the topic because if you were an expert, you would use a keyword research tool daily. So I remember back in 2013, uh, when, I, when I had a client, a translation agency, and they were requesting me to use Trados. I didn't have Trados, and I remember it was about 700 euros that I had to pay for my first license of Trados. And I was like, well, I don't know if it was, that was like my big, my first big client. And I was, I don't know if I want to spend 700 euros, but I said, okay, like, let's go with it. And I spent 700 euros. I still remember paying with my visa and yeah, it was worth it. So my advice for this first challenge is 
Uh, there are more expensive uh, options such as uh, SEMrush or HREFs, which I understand they are quite pricey, but there are also other options available such as uh, Ubersuggest or another tool called Mangles. And at the end of the day, if you only have one project and you say, if how can I pay for this tool if um, I'm not going to make enough money? And my advice is try to charge a bit more than you would charge or try to absorb the cost somehow, because I'm sure that many of you watching this today, one day paid for a Trados license and you have to absorb <laughs> the cost of the Trados license. So it's pretty much the same. So same situation, you need a keyword research tool. And from experience, clients that are serious and marketing agencies that are serious, they want to work with SEMrush or with Ahrefs, simply because all the team use data from these tools, so they don't want data from different tools. That in the end, they deliver data to the client from five different tools. They want everything to be uniform. So, yeah, that's the first challenge that everyone is going to face who is starting. And I totally understand it, but that's, that may be a solution. Try to absorb the cost somehow and remember that it happened to you with Trados. It's just, you just have to repeat the same again and succeed in, in, this, in this field. Okay, so second challenge that I'm going to talk about is um, when you do keyword research, which is one of the most popular services translators offer, uh, sometimes there is fear by translators to provide keywords that people use in their country but are not very popular. I've run a number of courses now, a number of workshops, and I have exercises on purpose when I know this problem is going to arise. And what I find many times is that um, students, instead of giving the keyword that fulfills the search intention of the keyword in English, they provide a keyword that is very similar just for the fact that that keyword has a higher search volume. So we cannot do that. So for example, yesterday I published something on LinkedIn and it was about uh, a scenario where we are translating um, the keyword baby food uh, pouches. So baby food pouches is like a little plastic bag um, that usually has um, either uh, fruits inside like juice or it has savory foods such as beef casserole, for example, and is different from a baby food jar. Now, in English, both baby food pouches and baby food jar are two terms, two keywords that are very popular. There are like more than 6,000 people every month looking for these keywords. When you go into Spanish, for example, and you try to find keywords that, um, that you can use when localizing these terms, uh, you find out that the keyword for baby food pouch only has 70 searches worldwide. So that's very little compared to 7,000 searches. So I've seen this many times. There is a risk that the translator is gonna say, oh, well, I'm gonna provide something more popular because this really, I cannot provide this keyword because it has very low search volume. I'm gonna provide a keyword that is more similar to baby food jar because in Spanish, that's the popular keyword, baby food jar, not baby food pouch. So we cannot do that, okay? If there is a keyword that matches the search intention 100%, we have to provide that keyword. We cannot just provide the similar keywords for the fact that there's more search volume. So 
prioritize search intention, prioritize a keyword being relevant over a keyword having a high search volume. And in line with that, the third challenge um, that I've seen many times is when we need to do keyword localization, which is also referred to as keyword trust creation, even though I don't agree with that name. But when we are doing keyword localization, instead of keyword research, we have uh, we have a very big challenge. And is that um, our client usually is going to give us a list with 200, 400, 600 keywords. And they are going to say, localize these keywords one by one. When we are localizing keywords one by one, we don't know where these keywords go in the website. We don't know the URL they belong to. We don't know the website page where they go. So our information, our knowledge of these keywords is limited to what we can see on our Excel document. This means that we may not always provide the most accurate keyword. So taking the example of um, baby food pouches, baby food pouches uh, can contain sweet fruit, sweet fruits, or savory food. In Spanish, the most popular term is related to uh, sweet fruits, okay? So it's a pouch with fruits inside. Now, uh, if I only have the keyword in English, that is baby food pouch, and in Spanish, I only have two options, one for savory and one for sweet, I don't know which one I should choose because I don't have information. In English, I have one keyword, which is just, it's, it doesn't say whether it is savory or whether it is sweet. And in Spanish, I have to choose either savory or sweet. So I cannot provide an accurate localization because I cannot see the product. I cannot see the page. So that's something that happens very often when you do keyword localization, you don't have access to the URL. So you can't understand the product. And from my experience, for this very reason, keyword localization is more effective when we are performing this service um, for pay-per-click, for paid advertising, rather than for SEO, because when it's for um, pay-per-click, there's no problems with cannibalization, there's no problems with no matching the search intention. Pay-per-click at the end of the day is to, to drive qualified traffic to the website. So you're not gonna have the same problems as with, uh, with SEO. So my advice is that if you're doing keyword localization for a client, first question you should ask is, how are these keywords going to be used? Are they going to be used for SEO or are they gonna be used for PPC? And if they're gonna be used for SEO, I would warn the client that there are limitations to the accuracy of the, the keywords that we can provide because we don't have all the information that we should have about them. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a question before you go to the fourth challenge. Um, why don't you agree with the term SEO transcreation? I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, simply because I think transcreation has to do with um, making a message work in the target country. So I don't know what I don't know where SEO comes into into play with trust creation. I think SEO localization is a better term rather than SEO trust creation. You know, so I think just mm, in my in my mind, in my understanding, trust creation is about 
translating a slogan in a car brochure where you want to mm -hmm. where you want to captivate the people who are looking to buy a car so i think it has very little to do with uh with seo, SEO. Mm -hmm. yeah i get that yeah <laughs> and the fourth the fourth challenge so the fourth challenge. <laughs> uh in seo most times things are not black and white and it's very common especially for content creators when you write uh, when you write a blog post it's very common to revisit to check that blog post in two, three, four, five months to see how that blog post is performing. And looking at different data, um, you can get insights that can tell you how you can improve the piece of content. So because things are not black and white, sometimes you're gonna get things 100% right, sometimes you're not gonna get things 100% right. Because, because things are not black and white, clients may come to you and say, why, why are you choosing a keyword uh, in singular rather than plural? And that has happened to me. A client said to me, why, why you are choosing uh, the keyword in singular rather than in plural? And you have to give an explanation. So the fourth challenge is you're gonna, you're gonna need to sometimes justify your choices because things are not black and white and your clients are gonna ask you um, why this is this way. And my advice here is read about SEO, practice SEO, and yeah, get into the well because the more knowledge you have, the better you're going to be able to justify your choices. And when you can give a reason for the job that you have done, the client is unlikely that it's going to come to you and say, no, that's wrong. Because as I said, things are not black and white. And as soon as long as you can justify your choice, I think you're going to be um you're going to be in the right you can always go back to the piece of content you can always go back to the translation and perhaps uh, optimize it in the future if you need to but it's important to um it's important being able to justify your your choices mm -hmm. so we have talked about the past we have talked about the present and um i'm going to ask you also about the future so how do you see the future of SEO translation? So I see the future um, where SEO translation and content creation or SEO copywriting are going to come uh, together more and more. Why is that? Because if we are translating a blog post about what is a blog and how does it work, and Spanish people ask for what is a blog and what do you use it for, you are going to want to answer both questions in Spanish. So you already are answering the question, what is a blog? So you just have to translate that section, but then you are not you are not answering the other question that the Spanish people look for, which is, what do you use a blog sport for? Okay, so um, I think that the future is going to be a scenario where translators and content creators are going to translate content and they are going to tweak the content and they are going to add new sections to answer the question that people have in each specific country. So that's how I can see the future. Mm -hmm. So these two figures will merge into one at the end. I think uh, I think I can see that happening. And I think that translators have a very good opportunity developing their skills um, as writers because uh, yeah, the likelihood is if you like translating or if you are good at translating, 
you can also be good at writing it. That's, it's not always the case, but if you would like to explore that that possibility, I encourage everyone to, to do it. Mm -hmm. So next week, you are going to be hosting Translastar's brand new SEO translation workshop. And um, can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so basically, I'm going to I'm going to be talking about what is SEO and translation, and then I'm going to specifically cover uh, how you can provide the most popular services uh, translation agencies demand. So I'm gonna be um, we're gonna be doing practical exercises to perform keyword research, to perform keyword localization, and to do SEO translation. So when when you are uh, having your first real assignment from a translation agency, you know what to do, or at least it's not the first time you that you are doing it. So you you are on the right path. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's going to be next week on the 23rd and 24th of February at uh, 6 p.m. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's 6 6 p.m. Um, Central Europe time to eight. Yeah, so it's two hours every day. So yeah, it's going to be Thursday and Friday next week. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now it's the time if you have more questions to write them. We got one before and I tried to answer, but I'm going to share it again so we can give a proper answer to it. Uh, can you write the software slash tools that you mentioned in the caption? And you mentioned SEMrush, uh, Uber Suggest. Mangoes and the other one, which are the uh, HREF. So, um, yeah, a a h a h r e f s a h r e f s HREFs. Uh huh. Okay, I'm going to pass it in the chat so you can find it. And this is um, so you said Semrush and href are the most expensive ones whilst you were suggesting my goals are affordable, yeah. yeah yeah okay we have another question from ele any reference materials slash readings david would like to recommend on seo localization thanks yeah i think there there's there's a lot of materials out there uh, maria who is also running some courses in trustless stars uh, I believe she has a book called the Bible Translation, if, if, if I'm correct. And I believe she may cover SEO localization in that book. So yeah, I haven't read it myself, but I believe it's a very good, a very good book. Mm -hmm. And then if you have some more questions, this is the time for you to write them. Otherwise, we are going to say goodbye to David, who has been so nice and kind to be here today with us. So thank you, David, for your time and for sharing your knowledge with us. And we are looking forward to seeing, seeing you next week in the workshop. Thank you for having me, Roberta. It's a pleasure. Bye bye. Bye.